come up with me. You're good. You told me to. We were supposed to do a fist bump, so I don't know what happened to that, man. That's what I was trying to do. Stay here. Okay, stay here. We'll make it quicker this way. Let me introduce you to Jeff. Give Jeff a hand this morning. This is Jeff Vanderstel, and he, uh, some of you may recognize him. He, uh, his roots come back to grace. Uh, this church uh, was very influential financially to, uh, as God was leading him to plant a church in Tacoma, we responded and helped uh, get that started back in 2003. Mm-hmm. The ripples of that have been tremendous. Over 100 churches have been planted globally, and he has been a part, as the Lord's led him to influence and lead and equip over 2,000 leaders. So this is a man that, uh, here's what I love about Jeff, and I don't know him that well, but this is what I love about him. He loves Jesus with all his heart. He is devoted to his family. I'm sure he'll show you some pics. Uh, he loves his family, and um, he loves the local church. I know that for a fact. And so uh, we're excited to have him here this weekend. Pastor Jesse is off uh, at graduation for his sister, enjoying the weekend on uh, red-eye flights. Those don't sound enjoyable. And we get the privilege of having Jeff here with us this morning. So let's pray for him. Father, we thank you for Jeff. We thank you for what you're going to do in him, through him. And God, we pause and ask your Holy Spirit to lead us. Help us to listen attentively. Help us to respond quickly by the power of your Holy Spirit as you lead us, we pray. Bless him and all that he shares today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's your fist bump, man. There you go. Bro. Good morning. Oh, so, yes, you know what? I, I don't know that I've been to a, like a first service in a church that was this energized. So, I mean, the whole time I'm like, I think I'm at the wrong time. This can't be the early service. Like, everyone's awake. So well done, man. So fun being with you. Yeah, so good. So I'm going to take you to 1 Peter 2 in just a minute. So if you like to use your Bible on an app or on your, you know, the, the old school paper, uh, open that up. 1 Peter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, and I'm just blessed to be with you. Uh, it has been a while. I was actually here, I think, in 2019 for a Unity event. And then we went through the last couple years and Thank God we're here, because <laughs> uh, God is good, and he's still with us and faithful to his promises. Amen? Yeah. Well, I want you to meet my family. Uh, I got a picture of them. Uh, they're growing up. Uh, some of you, if you did know me way back in 2003, we only had one at that time. Uh, so um, we now have uh, grown kids. So our, Haley's in the black dress. She's at the University of Washington. Uh, Maggie, her sister, the youngest is next to her. She's 15. She's a a freshman in high school. My lovely wife, Janie, we've been married almost 30 years now. So, yeah, amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, And then our oldest, our our son, uh, Caleb, he's a middle child. He's just graduating. He had prom last night. So uh, we were up pretty late waiting for that boy to get home. But he... (laughs) He had a good time, it sounds like, so uh, they're amazing, and uh, they're not here, uh, so, but th- they say hello, so uh, yeah, they're with, with you in spirit. All right, you got your Bibles, 1 Peter 2, uh, we're going to start in verse 4, uh, just read that, kind of set up a concept here that I want to talk about with you. I titled this message, Church Everywhere, Every Day, so you'll see what I mean as we go through this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, referring to Jesus, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Pause there. So Peter's writing to the church in Asia Minor, which is, we know as modern-day Turkey, uh, but they're all scattered all over the place. So they're not meeting in a big building. Many of them aren't even able to meet together in homes. There's, there's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of suffering. The church, as I said, was scattered. And so Peter wants to remind them of who they are, not based upon their circumstances or their situation, but based upon who God is and what God has done and who they are because of who God is and what he's done. And that's the the beautiful thing about scripture and about the faith that we proclaim in Jesus is that our circumstances don't change who we are, right? In fact, I just want to say this. If you had a week and you have some regrets or shame or guilt over the past week, just know that your behavior does not equal your identity. Right? Your identity is in who God is and what he's done in Christ. And if you have put your faith in Christ, you are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are loved, you are accepted, and nothing you could ever do will ever take that away. Okay? That's a good word. And Peter wants the church in Asia Minor to know that though they may have had suffering, they may have had persecution, they may not get to be together like they had hoped, he's still saying, you're still God's people. You're still the church. It isn't dependent upon your circumstances, depending on who he is and what he's done. And so he uses this language of living stones. He says, if you've come to faith in Jesus, you become a living stone in a spiritual household, which is the household of God. Now, what he wants them to understand is that church is not a building, okay? That the church is the people of God. And so when you turn and you said, welcome to church, I hope you understand that it wasn't this that was church, it was you who was church. So you're welcoming each other to each other. That's what you're doing, okay? And that's what Peter wants them to hear. Now, what I want you to do, if your birthday was in the first six months of the year, stand up. First January to June, stand up birthdays. I want you to imagine that this is Auburn or the greater South Sound and that you are all the living stones scattered throughout the region. This whole building, if this could be, if this could be a representation of the region, I want you just to imagine you are the living stones. If you've come to faith in Jesus, you are a living house. And if there's like individual connections between all of you, you are a moving, living, breathing house of God. That's who you are. And everyone that's seated, sorry, but you don't know God yet. So (laughs) you you don't know Jesus yet, okay? But where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play, there's a spiritual house. The church is everywhere every day, and it's God's intent that you would be his people on his mission so that every single person in the Puget Sound gets to meet Jesus. And in some ways, they don't have to get to this building to go to church. They just got to be around you. That's the mission. You can have a seat. Thank you for standing up. That's what God wants. I want you to hear this, Grace Community. You are the church. You are the church. And there's a lot of people in this region that will never come to this event. But like we heard in David's story, they're all around you. And they're looking, I I want you to know this, God has written eternity in the hearts of every man and woman, a longing for God's rule and reign in their life, a longing for heaven to come to earth, a longing for Jesus' presence to be made known to them. They don't know it, but they want it. Okay, it's in them. God put it in them. And I want to talk about what it looks like for us to live in line with that reality and step into our identity. We're going to look at 
chapter 2, verses 9 to 12 mainly. So start to move over to that. But before we do that, jump over to chapter 3. Just briefly, I want you to look at 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15. Peter says this, in light of the fact that they're going to suffer for their faith. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And we heard that in the song, right? We have a God who is bigger than anything we ever face. But he wants to prepare them for what will happen if and when they do suffer. He goes on to say, verse 15, but in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, which is another way of saying set him apart in your heart as, as better than and over all everything, okay? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, sadly, I think a lot of us have taken that verse and we use it primarily to, for apologetics. Like, I use this to argue people towards Jesus, right? And how's that working for you? Like, it often doesn't work so well. But that's not what Peter's wanting us to take from it. I mean, yes, we need to be prepared to answer lots of questions, but what he's saying is that you're living a life that probably got persecution because of the goodness you were doing in the world, and as a result, people are going to look at you and go, why in the world do you keep doing what you're doing when you suffer for it? Why do you keep loving people who reject you? Why do you keep giving to people who use you? Why do you keep caring for people who, reject, who, who just discard you? Like, Why? And the point he wants you, you and I to hear is that we should be living our life in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation. In other words, we're living our lives in such a way that it doesn't make sense unless we give them Jesus as the reason. Okay? That, that our lives should be confusing to the world because they're like, I don't get it. Why do you forgive? Because I've been forgiven. Why do you give? Because I've received why do you love? Because I was loved when I didn't love him. Like, that's why. I have a, a reason to give you for the life I live, and that reason is Jesus. In fact, I want to be really clear. We can't say we're on the mission of Jesus and never, ever talk about Jesus. Okay, in fact, my concern is that we could do lots of good in the world and never give Jesus credit, and then people think it's all about us and not about him, Right? Donald Whitney wrote uh, in his book on spiritual disciplines in the chapter around evangelism about a man who uh, ran a company in this region. I have no idea if he's even in this church. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but he, he observed one of his workers come back from a weekend away, and uh, he was just alive, like never before, just on fire. That's language if you're not a Christian. That's like, says, like, my heart is burning within me with a new passion, okay? And that was what was going on in this man. And he watched me. He said, what happened to you? And he said, man, I went to this crusade this last weekend. I heard about Jesus. I surrendered my life to him. I'm a new person. I now follow Jesus. And the boss was elated. He said, oh, my goodness, I've been praying for you for years that you would come to faith. Now, the employee is like, What? And he stops and he looks at him and he says, you are almost the reason I never became a Christian. And he says, here, here this is really important because we might think it's because he's such a bad person. No, he said, you're, you're an amazing boss. You're so kind, so generous. You're the best boss I've ever had. But I had no idea it was because you were connected to Jesus. So I figured I could be a great person too without Jesus because it seemed like you were. Here's the, here's the point. Let's give Jesus credit yeah. for the work he's doing in our lives, yeah. right? Yeah. 
I, I got to interact with some friends of ours that don't, that are, are, I think are coming to faith. We were together last night, and, and uh, at one point she said, I, I just don't know what it is in you. Like, we've been drawn to you. We've been wanting to, like, we want to we spend more time with you all the time. You talk so openly about your faith, and we are interested in, in this now. And I said, I just want to be really clear. The thing that you're experiencing that is drawing you towards God is Jesus. And he's at work in us. And you're experiencing his love through us. That's what it is. It's not because we're great people. If you knew me before Jesus, I was in trouble. I was a mess. I was not, there was nothing good that I could point to in me that would track you to God. God had to rescue me and change me and pour his love into my heart. So praise Jesus that we get to be a people on mission in everyday life for his glory. Amen? So now I want us to talk about who you are. Be ready to give an answer when you get the opportunity, but don't forget who you are. Go back to verse 9 in chapter 2. I'm going to read through uh, verse 12. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Just hear those words. Chosen race, royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And that's another way of saying those who don't yet believe or not part of the family of God yet. Keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I want to ask one thing. How many of you are worship leaders in the room? Okay, I'm going to read this again. (laughs) That they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God on the day of visitation. A worship leader is someone who leads someone to glorify God. How many of you are worship leaders in the room? We're getting better. You still aren't getting there, but maybe by the end we'll get there. Okay. That's just the people on the stage singing. It's everybody who knows Jesus as a worship leader. And you're supposed to be living your life in such a way that it leads people to worship God and then ask you why in the world you're doing what you do, and you'll give them Jesus. Okay? Now, there's three statements. First of all, we're a chosen race. If you're aware of the biblical narrative, you know this starts with Abram, who is eventually called Abraham. In Genesis 12, God goes to Abram, who is married to Sarai, and her name gets changed to Sarah eventually, and those name changes are representative of their new identity, just to be clear, okay? When God gives you a new name, it's a new identity for a new purpose, okay? That's what your baptism is all about, by the way. You're just getting a new name, name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. You have a whole new identity. And God comes to him, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, And I'm going to do it so that through you, I might be able to bless all the nations. Now, don't miss that. God wants to do something to Abram that will actually affect everyone. Okay? And he gives him the name Abraham, which means? Father of of many nations. That's right. Now, when does he give him the name? When he has Isaac or before he has Isaac? Okay, he, he and his wife have had no kids. They're barren. She's barren. They can't have any kids. And God says, I'm going to tell you who you are. You're a dad. And you're not just a dad of a child. You're going to be a dad of many nations. In other words, I'm going to give you the ability to have many offspring. 
And if I were Abram, and he was old, I mean, really, really old, older than all of you in the room, just to be clear, I think. Uh, it's just some of you were like, that wasn't nice. I'm sorry. God is gracious to me. Um, I'm getting older too. It was funny last night. We're sitting around everybody. My wife goes, man, I'm getting old. I'm like, you're, you're like younger than me. So when you say that, you're saying I'm old. <laughs> I'm 53, by the way. So, um, but God gives him the new name before he has children because what God does to you is in light of what he says is true of you. Okay? So here's what I don't want you to miss. And this is true for all of us whose faith is in Christ. God declares you to be something before you ever do anything for him. Please hear that. The, the world thinks that what we're about is trying to behave and be better and get God to love us. Kind of live up to some standard. When we fall short, we should walk away because he won't accept us. And that is not at all what the gospel is about. The gospel is about needy people saying, if you don't do something, I got no hope. I can't do enough to get up to your glory, to your holiness. I need you to come and be with me. Jesus came to earth because we couldn't get to him. That's the point. We couldn't do enough good to make ourselves acceptable before God, so we needed Jesus to be the only one who's acceptable to be for us, not only our substitute, but the means by which we can have a relationship where we are loved and accepted regardless of what we've ever done or do. That's the good news of the gospel. And so in Abram, we already see that kind of good news where God says, I'm going to give you a new name because I'm going to do a new thing, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. I'm just going to do it. And then, of course, they have Isaac and the nation of Israel is birthed eventually as the 12, through the 12 sons and so on and so forth. We see millions of people eventually become Israel. And here's what I want you to hear. Whatever God does to you, he intends to do through you. Okay, that, that's the concept of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible is God is the initiator. God is the active one at work in and through you and I. And when he does something to you, it's because he wants to do something through you. He blesses Abraham so he can be a blessing. Okay? He loves you so you can love others. Okay, that's how that works. Whatever he does to you, he intends to do through you. And he wants to do it through you in the way that represents what he's like, how he would do it. Okay? That's what it means to be God's chosen people. Israel was supposed to be a family of God that displayed to the world how loving God was. And if you were to end up in the family just by traveling through as a sojourner in, in the context of Israel, you should be able to experience the love of God just by being around his people. That, that was the concept. And they failed at this so miserably. They found all kinds of reasons not to love people. Sound like today? You don't believe the, you don't stand on the same aisle politically as I do. You didn't agree with me on the mask thing or vaccination or whatever it was that we found ourselves fighting over. Like, I've got lots of reasons not to love people. That's the world. That's not God's people. We are the loving family of God, as Paul says, meant to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And so Jesus comes to show us what the Father's like and display the Father's love. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the love of God looks like. It's the love for an enemy. It's the love for the outsider. It's the love for the lonely. It's the love for the hurting, the love for the lost, the love for the broken, not the love for everyone who likes us and is, is like us. It's the love for everyone. That's what God is like. And he wants to love through us. And Jesus came and did it for us. 
Think of it this way. Think of evangelism. Some of you guys hear that word and you're like, gosh, if you're new to the church, by the way, that's just being proclaimers of good news to people. And we have the best good news. It's Jesus and all he's done. But, but I want you to think about evangelism more like foster to adopt. Like, what do you do when you foster to adopt? You, you, you bring someone into your family and you treat them like they belong to your family, even if they legally aren't your family. Right? What if that's what evangelism was? We just bring people into our homes, into our life, and we love them like they already belong. Regardless of what they believe, we just love them like they belong. And God gave Janie and I the opportunity to do that years ago when we first moved into Tacoma. There was a woman who lived next door, was a hoarder and a recluse, and she had let her whole life just, I mean, she never let go of anything because she lost her husband to cancer. It was her second husband. First husband was very abusive to her. And so when she found this other guy, she called him her angel when she would describe him to us. He sadly died of cancer, and this was about 15 years since he had died when we met her. And she, she promised never to lose anything ever again. So she saved everything for 15 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, if you can imagine. Yeah. And so we were trying to reach out to her, trying to love her. My wife told me one day, she get, I get home, she's sitting on the front porch, she goes, I am done with that woman. I washed my hands. <laughs> I'm like, why? She goes, I'm, we're trying to love her. We're trying to reach out. And I'm sitting on the front porch and she gets in her van and she revs the engine and she looks at me to make sure I see it. And then she runs over our garbage bins and recycle bins right in front of me. And I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, I'm done. And I, I stop. I said, okay, we don't get to be done with people. Like, so let's pray. And we start praying. And God, this is what God said to both our hearts. You don't reject people, you love people. You don't just love people, you love them like family. And if she was my mother or our sister or somebody that was related to us, what would we do? And some of you go like, I would be out of there because <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> okay, maybe that you gotta need a new vision of family, okay? <laughs> family doesn't give up on each other. And so we just said, Lord, what would it look like if we started loving her like family? And I remember the next time I got home and there was another breakthrough for our relationship with Nikki and Janie was sitting in the porch just crying. I said, what happened? She goes, Nikki came over. She was falling apart. She started to share with me her story. It's the first time she opened up and became vulnerable and needy because she thinks she can trust us now. She even said that. She goes, everybody else has left me. You're still here. And she even said, I've been trying to push you away, but you won't go anywhere. I'm like, well, we live next door. I mean... Like, but we're not going anywhere. And then she came home one time and she had, um, I came over to the house one time and she said, I'm having chest pains. I wasn't there. I need to go to the hospital. Jane's like, why didn't you call an ambulance? She's like, I don't want anybody in the neighborhood to know how needy I am. So Janie took her to the hospital and our community group, we called it a missional community. We just started visiting her in the hospital, bringing her flowers, treating her like she was like our family. And I, I remember the, the Christmas when uh, we were out, have, we were having fond, Christmas Eve fondue together, and she's sitting listening to music, and she all of a sudden says, "Hey, could you play that song, um, uh, Baby, It's Cold Outside?" And it's, if you know the lyrics, it's not the best song, and so it starts playing, "Baby, It's Cold Outside," and she, you know, we're just enjoying the music, and she goes, "I used to dance with Bud to that one," and my wife looks at me, she's like, <laughs> "I'm like, oh me." <laughs> So there I am, just dancing in the kitchen with Nikki. She's in her 70s and just giving her a sense that this is what the father would do with her. He would dance with her. She became like mom, like grandma to the kids.
Israel was also called to be a holy nation. This is who we are. We're a holy nation. What that means is we are a people who live in such a way that we show the world what it's like to live under the rule and reign of God. Where everything starts to become like it was supposed to be. And they failed at that as well, and I know we do, but God is gracious, and Jesus comes, and he says, hey, wherever I'm at, there the kingdom of God is. He even told us to pray. Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's bringing heaven to earth. See, here's the good news, by the way, if you're not aware of this. We aren't getting out of here someday and leaving this place. Heaven's coming to earth one day. That's how the story ends, right? God's gonna restore all things to himself and we're gonna enjoy him forever. And the church is the means by which people get a foretaste of that reality. We live in such a way that they can taste what it's gonna be like when all things are made new, kind of like a trailer to a movie, right? You go to watch the trailer, you're like, that's gotta be good. Then you go to the movie, it's like, it's not as good as the trailer. All the good stuff was in the trailer. We're the opposite. We're just a, a dim foretaste of the future so that people go like, man, if this is what it's gonna be like when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, I want that. That's how we live. Think about where you live, where you work, where your kids go to school, the sports areas. Does it look like the kingdom of God? Does it look like heaven on earth? Because wherever it doesn't, we ought to say, God, would you bring heaven on earth? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in my neighborhood as it is in heaven, in my house as it is in heaven, at work as it is in heaven, for my kids' school as it is in heaven. And where are the means by which God does it? Okay? Jesus came as the king of kings, but he said, I did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. And then he says, this, this is true of you now. As I've done with you, you're to do with others. And it's our way of showing the kingdom of God in tangible form so people can see. We want them to show, just to feel the love. We want them to see the kingdom breaking into the world. We looked at Nikki's house and God started to say, hey, that's your responsibility her house. And she wouldn't let us in, so I started just boarding up broken windows and fixing stuff around the house where rodents were crawling up. And one day we were sitting in the backyard hanging out at a fire pit, and over the, the, the fence jumps a raccoon. And I'm like in Tacoma. Like, this is like, the, I'm in an urban context, and there are critters living in the backyard of my neighbor's house. And there were possums. I don't know what else was back there, but there was a jungle. I mean, there were blackberry bushes about 15 feet high filling the whole backyard. And our mission community just said, hey, if, if the kingdom of God were to show up at, at Nikki's house, what would it look like? So that we would clean that thing up. So we got her permission, and we got a backhoe. The guys loved it. We got to tear a yard apart. <laughs> we found two cars buried in the blackberry bushes, the first car was the car that she dated her husband, or that they, they first dated in, so she kept that. The second car was the first car they bought together. She was just like, I'm not letting go of anything that's connected to Bud. But we tried to ask her if she, we could move him and get him out of there, and she's like, no, no, I'm, I can't let go. So we, we said, we'll, we put gravel, and we said, we'll make garden beds out of the cars. Like, she wouldn't let us. We were gonna cut off the tops. And, but we turned the whole backyard into a, a community garden. We got play set for kids. Moms would come and hang out in the backyard with Nikki and, and just talk, and all of a sudden, Nikki's got the, he the kingdom of heaven coming to earth in her backyard. Who needs the kingdom of God right now where you're at? Maybe some of you are even here going like, I need it. Be needy with somebody about that then today. Let them know, I need a little taste of heaven in my life today. I need Jesus to break in. I need him to show me that he's still alive and ruling and reigning. 
And lastly, you're a royal priesthood. That means not only are we a loving family that shows them what our Father in heaven is like and how much he loves them, and not only are we a, a, a royal priesthood with, that brings the, can, the tangible expression of the kingdom to everyday life through the way we serve people, but we are supposed to talk about that, the, the good news of Jesus. We are a royal priesthood, which means we are a mediator people. We are a people that God has put in a place to kind of go like this between God and people. Now, Jesus is the ultimate mediator, but in Christ, we join him in that mediation and it's as though God is making appeal through your life. Be reconciled to God, and I know how you can be. Don't be alone anymore, and I know how you, you might be brought into a family. I'm here so that you might know. It's not a mistake. God has placed you where you're at on purpose. I want you to hear that. Don't think, oh man, if he, if he just sent me somewhere else, I could accomplish a lot. He's like, no, he put you next door, Jeff, to Nikki because he wanted to save that woman. That's why. He knew what he was doing. And so Jesus says to you and I, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you to be that people sent for my purpose so that you might proclaim the good news that all people could be brought into the family of God through Jesus Christ if they put their faith in him. We got a call one night by the way, I just want to say, I said it earlier, we can't just love and serve, we've got to share Jesus. David, I was so glad to hear your story. What a blessing. Man, let's have hundreds of those in this church. Amen? Thousands maybe. I mean, come on. Let's not waste our opportunities. We have so much in front of us. This world is desperate for Jesus. We got a call that, I should back up before that. I remember the night when Nikki came over and she said, no, this was the next morning. She said, I've been up all night. I said, why were you up all night? She said, I finally surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Amen. She, said, she said, Jeff, Janie, I just want you to know, like, I know he's forgiven me, and I know he loves me. And she said, I prayed for everybody that I've ever sinned against. I tried to remember all of them. <laughs> and asked God to, to forgive me. And, 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 and then those who've hurt me, I asked him to to show his love to them. She started praying for those who persecuted her. I never taught her that. The Spirit just put that on her heart. She started already loving like family, even her enemies, I think, because God had loved her through us like family, even when she was an enemy. Whatever God does to you, he intends to do through you. People always love like they've been loved. And so all of a sudden, she, she, she said, I was up a long time praying. I'm like, wow, I bet there was a lot there. <laughs> So she came to faith. We baptized her in the Puget Sound. She was deathly afraid of water. But she said, I want to get baptized. I had the privilege of baptizing her. I still have those photos, those videos. It's so precious. Yeah, it's so amazing. And then we got the call. This is just about seven years ago now uh, that she had had a stroke and was in a car when she did and hit a tree and was at the hospital. My wife and I heard about it. We were over in Lake Chelan, so some friends came and got my wife and drove her to the hospital, and our missional community was with her by her bedside pretty much 24-7. Her grandson, Jonathan, was there, and almost everybody that was with Nikki that was part of my community kept telling him about the love that we have for her because of the love that we have received from God. And he just, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. 
But we had the funeral, memorial. Her daughter, a strange daughter who had not talked to her for many years was there and we're all talking about Nikki and she gets up with the mic and she goes, I don't know what happened, but that's not the woman I know. The woman you're telling me about is not the woman I know. So I don't know what happened to her, but she's not the same woman. And she, she went on, she said, I want to tell you, I'm so glad my mom did not die without a family. You became her family. And I was, I was there with her. She's holding, I'm holding the mic. And she goes, can I be in the family? I said, you're, we're here. We're here. We love you. We're here to be with you. And I get done and we sit down and her grandson, Jonathan, Nikki's grandson, uh, hadn't said anything. He didn't get up front, but he, pulled, he leans over. He goes, can I be in the family too? I go, of course. He goes, yeah, but I want to move in to grandma's house. I'm like, no, you don't. Have you been in there? <laughs> he goes, I want to clean it up. I want to move in. So our missional community spent the next three months hauling about 15,000 pounds of stuff had been stored for 50, over 15 years. We restored that house. Jonathan moved in. One night while we were working on the house, he came over our place and we were hanging out. He goes, he goes I, I just don't get it. Like, why are you doing this? Why, why would you have loved grandma like that? Why, you guys are paying to fix this house. Why would you do that? And I said, let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done and how much he paid for me. And they said, you know, grandma got baptized. I still can't believe she got in that water. He said, what is baptism? And I explained what it was. And he said, I think I'm ready to get baptized. That next weekend, we were all at a retreat out of the the coast and he wanted to join us our missional community and so he spent the weekend with us watching everybody get up in the morning read their bible pray just loving on each other eat meals together and we got him out into the pacific ocean before we got him to be baptized he he i said jonathan tell tell everybody and there's all these people watching because we're like something's about to happen tell everybody what happened and he goes man i was in the hotel room and you talk about jesus to my you know, when we were waiting for grandma and to pass and she was in this coma and he said, I just thought you guys are crazy. <laughs> None of this made sense. And he said, but I can't, I could not explain why you do what you do unless that's real. And he said, I came to believe it was real because of the way you loved me. Yeah. <laughs> Who are the Nickies and Jonathans in your life? Who are the people who just need to experience the love of God, be brought into the family, be served like Jesus served us, and then tell them the truth about who he is and what he's done and who you are because of it? I just want to take a moment, just ask you to bow your heads and just close your eyes and, and just want you to, I want to invite the Spirit to, to give you faces and names of people right now. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're here going like, that's why I'm in the room, because I'm trying to figure this out. And if that's you, I'm going to pray for you as well. But just, who are the Nickies? Who are the Jonathans? Who has God put around you that they, they just need to know they're so loved? They need to be served in a way that they can see the kingdom breaking into the world. And they need to hear that God is pursuing them, that he wants them, that he loves them. 
that he's for them. Who are they? Just capture the names, the faces. A neighbor, family member, co-worker, classmate, teacher, someone on your kid's sports team or the parents of another athlete. Who is it? you got their name and their face, just go, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, send me. God, you love me enough to send the Son. Help me to love others like that. Jesus, you served me at the cost of your own life. Help me to serve these people like that. Jesus, you came and you didn't just stay far away, you got near And then you told us the truth about how much the Father loves us. Help us to speak the beautiful good news that God is for us and not against us because of you, Jesus. Father, I pray if there's anybody right now who's saying, that's me. I I just, I've, I've never believed that God loved me. I've never received what he did for me in Christ. And I've been, I've felt lonely or I've felt a part of this thing. It hasn't made a lot of sense to me. Father, I pray right now if anybody in their heart is just saying, yes, I want to be a part of this family. Like Nikki experienced, Lord, I pray right now. Like Jonathan experienced, I pray right now that you would draw them to yourself. And if that's you, all you got to do is say, here I am. Take me. Jesus died for me. I believe it. He shed his blood to forgive me my sins. I receive it. And he overcame Satan, sin, and death so that I would never be alone without the power I need to go through this world because now he's with me right now. Some of you feel that right now. He's with me. can sense it. For all of us who have known this for a long time, I just want you to put your hands out like this posture of receiving. Father, I pray over your children right now Help them to step into the truth that they are yours, that you love them dearly, and you want to love people through them. Pour out your love into their hearts to do that. Father, I pray that you would remind them that Jesus came as the servant of all. He's the king of kings, and yet he's the servant of all. Lord, I pray you would make us a people who are willing to serve because of the costly nature of how you served us, Jesus. And Lord, you promised that you would give us what to say by your spirit when we needed it. I pray that you would loose the tongues of these men and women to speak the truths of Jesus with boldness and courage, to not shrink back and be ashamed of the gospel, but to be boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus with gentleness and respect. Lord, I pray everyone here would have even this week an opportunity to give an explanation for the life they live because it makes no sense to the world apart from Jesus. Help us to do this, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Yo, subscribe to the YouTube channel. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe to this channel.